0: How are you this morning? You still awake? All right. It's a good day. It's a very good day. Well, you can dial up in your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning, chapter 1. Last week, we talked about uh, being one nation. We talked about um, being ambassadors. Jesus Christ, and what does that look like? That we have a ministry of reconciliation as though we were pleading or imploring the world to be reconciled to Christ. We talked about what a resume of an ambassador looks like, and, and that we're called not to just be Americans, but we're called to be ambassadors. And, And as we talked about being that that one nation this morning, we're going to talk about the next part of our flag, uh, Pledge of Allegiance, which is under God. Now there's a big question mark in our country right now. But how do we as Jesus followers learn to live under God in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile towards our beliefs? How do we, as Jesus' followers, learn to live under God? How do we live correctly? How do we live a pleasing life to God in a world, in a culture, that is increasingly hostile towards us? It's a great question. Some have chosen the path of least resistance, and they look a lot like the world. Not what he tells us to do. Some have chosen to exclude themselves from the world, and they remain far apart from the world, and that's not what He's called us to do either. And then there are some brave people like you that have chosen to embrace the world but not its ways. It's a big distinction right there. Understand this. He's called us to embrace the world but not their ways. You can either redeem the world, or you can reject the world, or you can resemble the world, and He's not called us to resemble the world, has He? And He's also not called us to reject the world. We have the same mission that Jesus Christ had, which is to redeem this world, to bring it back to Himself. And if you try to exclude yourself, you live in fear, and you just want to isolate yourself from the world, those those filthy sinners out there, you're not getting much done. You want to look like the world, you're not getting much done, and in fact, your faith is slipping. Or, you, you walk in that tension of being saved in an unsaved world, and we have to figure out how do we do this. Now, I found some interesting stuff as I was getting, uh, getting ready for this, is that this Pledge of Allegiance that we have, the uh, Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the Republic, right, you know this one? Now that was founded in 1887, get this, by a Southern Baptist minister who was also a socialist. Those two don't go together with me. (laughs) Southern Baptist minister socialist. But here's the kicker. It wasn't until 1954 that they added the last two words, under God. Did you know that? That The original Pledge of Allegiance did not have the phrase, under God. It used to stop at one nation. In 1954, with the threat of communism imminent, President Eisenhower suggested to Congress, we need to put under God, we need to get back under the banner of God. And after 1954, it now says, one nation under God. Now for those of you that wonder, it's not a question mark, it's actually a period. <laughs> it's not under God, it's actually one nation under God, period. But I find it amazing, and I see the, the, the irony of a Southern Baptist socialist that minister that doesn't put in the original Pledge of Allegiance one nation under God. Isn't that interesting? That years later, a president, a politician, is the one that said, I think we need to come back and be under God. And I think there's a lot of oxymorons that we face in the world and we hear these all the time. And if you don't know what an oxymoron is, it means two mutually exclusive terms. Okay? You know these, you've heard them all along. Jumbo shrimp, right? Military intelligence, right? Microsoft works. Right? (laughs) Carnal Christian. No laughs on that one. That's an oxymoron, right? Two mutually exclusive terms that don't go together. But the reality is, we live in a day where these things don't have to line up, and we can just call ourselves one thing and be something altogether different. And the Bible would say, That's called mixing your words, and he doesn't respond well to that. And so I want you to understand that my heart is for us to become a church and a people that honor God and that we truly are under God, not because of a a pledge of allegiance to a flag, but because we have a Bible and a Savior that's worth serving and living for. But that means we have to make certain distinctions, and we have to make certain adjustments in our personal lives, or we look just like everybody else, and we live just like everybody else. And He's called us to be separate people. He's called us to be, as Melissa said, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, as we look around, would you say that that is what we see in our world right now? or maybe even in our churches. (laughs) Something needs to be adjusted. And the only way we do that is we come back to sound doctrine. And we teach it straight, and we preach it straight, and we stop worrying about what Certain lobbying people want, and what certain cultural trends want, and we come right back to what the Bible says. And when we uh, admit that the Bible is true and it's for us and for today, then our lives will line up like God wants them to line up. But whenever we begin to make a cultural change in this, and well, blah, 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 blah you can say whatever. Our, the culture will always change, but God's word endures forever. And we've got to understand that. And we can't have a cultural faith always through the Scripture, especially the Old Testament, as we're going to see with, with Daniel, he showed that we have faith despite the culture. We hang on to our faith in the midst of a pagan culture. We don't cave and give in. We actually do the opposite. But we've got to understand that there's some choices that have to be made. So we're going to take a little test here real quick. And the big question is, who are you under? Are you under God or are you under culture? Now, if we laid out a timeline between 1 and 10, with 1 being you don't really care much about God, and 10 being, yeah, that's me. Now, we put it through this framework of, of different areas of our life, our entertainment. When you watch stuff, do you watch stuff and you find yourself more under the cultural? Yeah, that was really good. Now, think about that for a minute. When we go and watch something or read something or listening to something, was it good According to who? According to culture or according to God? How we spend our money, is it according to culture or is it according to God? The relationships that we have, are they according to our culture or are they according to our God? How we work and how we play and how we vacation and how we see ourselves, our self-identity, is it more cultural or is it more godly? Where do you find yourself on that spectrum? Who defines who you are, the culture or the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it your money or is it His money? Is it your life or is it His life? And there was a time where I believe we were probably in the seven and eight mark in most churches, but we've begun a slow slide, church. And more and more Christians have lost the distinctiveness of Jesus' following and Jesus' lifestyles until there's virtually no difference in what we believe and what they believe. Now, believe me, there's lots of professing Christians, but if you just looked at their lives, not what they say with their words... I'm all past that. I'm past what people call themselves. I'll see who they are by watching their lives and hear their values. Then we'll know who they're really under, whether they're under God or whether they're under culture. Now this may sound again a little bit, uh, it's not strict, it's just right to the point and the reason why is the church as a whole is supposed to be the light of the world We're supposed to be victorious and glorious and unified and representing Jesus Christ well. This has not become another job market. This is not a place of a meeting place so that we gather and have coffee and make friends, and if those things happen, that's great. I hope that you make friends. But we are here to learn and get trained, to be equipped for the ministry, and the ministry is reconciliation like we talked about last week. It's not for us to just come and sit and say, well, wasn't that nice, or man, he's full of it, and then we go our way if our lives aren't being changed, if we're not hearing and allowing it to sink in and actually change how we live, then what are we doing? The reality is nothing. And we're becoming more and more like the culture than we are people of God. Where are you spending your time? I mean, I I hear that a lot. I know That The Bible says that that's one of the signs of the end times that that time is going to seem to speed up, but I hear this pretty frequently. Well, who has time for that? You know, praying, who has time for that? Serving, who has time for that? Reaching out and sharing the gospel, who has time for that anymore? We've got time for social media. We've got time for hobbies. We've got time for vacation. We've got time coming out of our ears. We just don't make time for the things like that And the reality is, that's what I'm saying, we make time for the things that are higher on our priority list, and we make time for things that we value. And it's not just a younger generation. This is for every person in America today. We've got to get over the notion of, oh, it's because of all those 40 and unders. Oh, no, it's not. We're seeing a record number of those 50 and over leaving the church. Now they haven't left the church in their faith. They just don't attend very much because now they're retired. And their usefulness and their knowledge and their mentoring could be used in the local church, but they're traveling and they're not apart anymore. They're busy with grandkids. And I love grandkids. I love my grandchildren. But I love somebody else named God more. And I better raise them up and I better be an example to them. And it doesn't mean you can't retire, and it doesn't mean you can't vacation, but also remember that you're called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and we've got a young generation that's looking to you of how do you be a Christian. And when the average attendance of a faithful person is 1.7 times a month, something has gone wrong, church. And it's not soapbox this morning. It's about that the culture has invaded our values and we think, we think we can have a healthy relationship with God one hour a week. And I'm telling you, one hour a week, one church service a week will not give you a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Try it with your spouse. I love my wife so much I spend one hour a week because who has the time and the energy to keep that relationship going? Try it in the gym. I want to have a healthy body. I go to the gym one hour a week. Now most of you are saying, man, a whole hour? (laughs) Now think about your faith, which is the most important decision that you can make. And what we've really said is, I need less and less of that. And more and more people are flocking to churches that have a one-hour period service, and they never go any other time than Sunday. They don't do life group. They don't do midweek. They rarely get involved in anything else. They just come and sit and go so that they can check the box And that will not give you a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the extreme is is also not as healthy. Being overrun and overwhelmed. I mean, there was a time in the church. Hey, I remember those days. Saturday night prayer group, Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday midweek, Tuesday Bible study, Thursday collapse and cry, right? And that's if there wasn't other stuff going on. And you even hear, you're going to hold an older generation, say something like this, if the doors were open, we were there. They understood the value of relationship. Now again, there's no extra points for being strung out and so burned out that you begin to hate church. But there's also something to be said when, hey, I've only got an hour to give. We have to find the balance in there of how to have a healthy relationship with God and with other people so that we have a strong faith. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read this incredible story. And if you've never read this before, Daniel was a young Hebrew man. And there'd be a… It's it's so funny, it's so ironic to how this looks today. And again, we've just elected a new new president. There's been a change… In leadership, and Daniel's alive during a change in leadership where a king rose up, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a very powerful king, but he was a assert false gods, a pagan. We almost don't even use that term anymore. He's a pagan king. And, and he knew what our world knows. And that is, if you want to change a culture, you immerse it. You change its names and the language and the diet and the atmosphere. And the culture begins to change. Let's read together. We're going to start with verse 3. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. So notice who he's going after. We're going after the guys that have the most promise. He's being smart. And some other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as what? Captives. They didn't go willingly. This is not a great job opportunity. They were taken. He said, I want all the best and the brightest. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Look at this part. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. Now, Daniel wasn't from Babylon, but he's like, this is how we change the culture. We train them into our culture. Let's pick the best and the brightest, and we'll change the way they think, the way they live, the way they behave. We change their diet. We just immerse them in how we want them to be, and pretty soon they will change, and they will look like us. Moving on, verse 5. The king's assistant assigned them a a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Then you can skip down to verse 8 and notice this. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Notice that he made a determination. Some versions say he purposed in his heart. Other versions say he resolved. Now those are some strong words that almost don't mean anything today. But we need to get back to being determined people. Resolved people people who have purposed in our hearts, we're not going to defile ourselves with the local culture. But that doesn't mean that Daniel ran away, did it? Isn't that amazing? He stayed right where he was and determined not to defile himself. I will have my faith in the midst of an overwhelming pagan culture. Sounds like today, doesn't it? And somehow he managed to do this. You see, the culture is actually training us if we're not careful. It begins to seep into what we think and what we watch and how we behave and how we respond. And if we compare it with culture, we'd say, yeah, we're normal. But if we compare it with God's Word, we'd say, you have lost your mind. And you don't appear to have any faith. I mean, just a... A few cities south of us, we had people rioting. Over what? That the, that the economic market dropped out? Nope. That we had just entered ourselves into a world war? Nope. That the banks had closed and there was a run in our nation on the bank? Nope. Nope that a huge attack on America happened and thousands of lives had been lost? Nope. They cried and rioted and protested because they didn't get their way. The new president hasn't even taken office, (laughs) and we have grown adults crying and weeping and destroying property because they didn't get their way. And we can stand back and go, oh my gosh. Or we can be a bright light that shines and say, not in my house. (laughs) Not in my family. Not in my church. And we don't have to like who gets elected. But we have a mandate for God To live under him by the principles he's commanded, regardless of who's standing up above us, regardless of the culture around us. And when we can let that sink in, but that means we might set ourselves up for rejection and ridicule and some people saying some stuff to us. Welcome to the real world. It's been happening all along. Christians used to be made sport of in Colosseums and, and have to fight lions and have guys toss spears at them. Christians used to be crucified and burned alive and all manner of things. And now, did you see what they said about us on social media? Really? Is that the the length of our resolve? <laughs> Is that our boldness? That somebody typed some words and shared a private message with you and said you were narrow-minded or whatever they said about you, and that's what backed you up? Get a grip. Get some faith. Hard times are coming. I've been telling you this. And it's because of those hard times that what we do and what we believe is more needed than ever. People that aren't shifting like the sand. People that aren't going with the flood of this nation. People that know how to stand and do what's right and live what's right and have a life that's worth imitating. Have marriages that want people to get married. Have children that are so inspiring that other people want to have children. Have a faith that is so abundant that people want to have what we have. That's what we've been called to. But Daniel understood this. Now, the, the words we're going to talk about here, they may sound a little bit offensive. But have you ever seen somebody under the influence? How do they act? Normal? There's a reason we say they're under the influence, right? Because they're not acting like they normally act. You ever notice that their language changes? Come on now. I know you all haven't come from Christian homes. People get under the influence and they begin to yell and scream and use words that they don't normally use. Right? Do they think differently then? When you're under the influence, do you think differently? Do you act differently, do things you wouldn't normally do? Do you see differently? I mean, you think about it. It's amazing who becomes attractive after three or four. And it's amazing that everybody's attractive after six or eight. And you become bulletproof. (laughs) And you become attractive after six or eight under the influence. What's influencing you? Just like Daniel. Now here's what's amazing. It changed his language. You're going to learn our language. You're going to be instructed in everything Babylonian. We're going to change your education. We're going to change your diet. We're going to change your name. Now, what's interesting to me is Daniel didn't flinch until it came to the diet. They changed his name, and he didn't say a word. You know why? He knew who he was. didn't matter what they called him. Do you know who you are this morning, no matter what they call you? Have they changed our languages around here? Sure. We don't speak faith anymore. <laughs> We don't speak Jesus anymore. We speak a popular culture. They changed our diet. Certainly, what we feed on, both physically and spiritually, is amazing compared to a generation ago. But remember this, whatever influences us changes how we think. Is it going to be God or culture? And I've won, so to understand this, get where I'm coming from. Somebody that was not raised in church. No church. Had no understanding of this. I didn't know that the Bible had multiple stories and stuff in it because I had never read one before. And when I met a Christian, what somebody called themselves a Christian, I didn't really understand because these are the kids in school that I partied with. So that name didn't really mean much to me. But then I went to a church, and it seemed very strange. And they had different terminology, and they had a different language, and they had a different value system. And it was very apparent that what they believed and who they believed and why they believed was not the same as what I believed and how I lived. And there was a big contrast. Now, I went to church for months before I ever got saved because I wanted proof. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I grew up in science. And so I wanted verifiable proof, and I about drove my poor wife crazy asking all this question: How can you prove this, and how can you prove that? And, and she was wise and kind and patient. And she would say, that requires faith. That's why we have to have faith. That's why we have to have faith. But how do you prove faith? You just have to have faith. (laughs) But I also remember, just like it was yesterday, when the words finally sunk in and the pastor gave an altar call. And I somehow just knew he was talking to me. And I didn't even know what they called it. Later on, I found out that meant conviction. (laughs) Now, for those of you that don't know what that means, that meant that you felt so bad about your sin and your lifestyle that you knew there needed to be a change. And when the time came, an interesting thing happened my backside could no longer sit in the seat nobody had to beg me and i got up from my seat and ran and i i use that word specifically ran to the altar and please I'm trying not to be judgmental. I just want you to hear how weird our world has become. When I got there, nobody said, don't you know that God's got a wonderful plan for your life? Nobody wanted to talk doctrine. Nobody wanted to explain anything to me. I was on my face, (laughs) kneeling at the altar, and strong men gathered around me. began to pray. And that moment alone started a path, not of perfection. Nobody called me to the ministry. I just began to serve in the local church. I started emptying waste buckets and setting up Sunday school rooms, not because somebody paid me, but because I got to serve Jesus. And it was a short while later that they had a baptismal service, and one of my lifelong men in my life prayed for me and prayed for me, and I got baptized in that evening service. And it felt so incredible, and still not perfect, not anywhere close. And later on that night, another group of strong, faithful men gathered around me, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. but there was none of this coaxing and salesmanship. It was pretty simple. If you want to get saved, come forward. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come forward. And that conviction and that desire just drove me and drove me, and that's what I see missing in a lot of today, very little conviction. And that's what we have to get back is making a determination. We don't have to preach any harder or less hard and we don't have to be cultural and we don't have to be politically correct but we better come back to the trueness and the conviction of God's word and so that you know that when you're sinning you know that it's sin and you've got to get it out or you're lying. You're not really living the life and you'll be in bondage over and over again Because how we think affects how we believe. And how we believe affects our behavior. And that's why, like I said, there's very little difference between the church anymore and the world. Because we just stop with how we think and it should affect our behavior. We all know this. And yet somehow it's gotten lost. And I'm not here to condemn or even conjole I'm just here to remind you that Jesus Christ died for sinners, not so that they would stay sinners, so that they would be redeemed and be free to be saved people under Jesus Christ. And he levied no judgment and issued no condemnation. He just said, I've come to seek and save the lost, and the lost seemed to come for him. But you can't follow Jesus halfway. You also can't follow Him in a passive way. And that's what's become the norm. And maybe not you. But ask yourself, are you as excited and on fire for Jesus Christ as you were five years ago? ten years ago, and if something has changed, it's not God. He is right where He's always been. But our exposure to the world, our exposure to our own selves, our our ability to do our own thing, our own way, has moved us farther and farther away from God. Now the great news is He's still reaching out saying, come back anytime. And I'm praying, church, I'm praying for another great awakening. We don't need revival. I believe we're at the point of death already. We need an awakening first to our sin and then that there's a God to turn to. Turning away from our sin and turning to a God who does not know sin and changes our lives forever, even at personal cost. That means you may have to give up some stuff, that means you may have to set some stuff aside. That means you may have to be bold. That means you may have to get some conviction and say that the Bible says that's wrong, so I believe that it's wrong. Let's move on. You see, what made the difference with Daniel is this it said he determined not to defile himself, he made a decision before he got stuck in the midst of it. And that's where we've got to get to today. And that's what I'm hoping to share with you here at the end. This is the most important part. We need to get some preconceived, some predetermined ideas before we're in the midst of our problems, and then it's overwhelming us. We need some predetermined ideas about how we're going to deal with sex before marriage. Is it right or is it wrong? The Bible says it's wrong. And you need to make up your mind, I'm not going to do it. You can't wait till you're getting undressed in the backseat of the car to say no. It's too late. Your flesh will kick in, and it'll be very hard to overcome. We need to figure out how we're going to deal with drugs and alcohol. What does the Bible say? Do you want to be in bondage to those things? And I know there's many places, and I preach this. Again, I believe it's true. The Bible says we should not be drunk, but it also says we shouldn't be mastered by anything. Whether that's prescription medicine or social media, because it doesn't cover all that stuff. But the things that control us change how we behave and how we think. What are we under control of? We better have some predetermined ideas about those things. We better have predetermined ideas about how we're going to speak to the people around us. Are we going to be people that bless, or are we going to be people that curse? And it's been a A black spot on Christianity of what we see even on social media about what Christians say to each other and how they drag each other down and how they attack each other and how they attack leaders that fall instead of blessing them and praying for them to get restored. No, we just rail them and crucify them. But not everybody's perfect. In fact, there was only one. How are we going to deal with our money? Is it your money or is it his money? You need to make a predetermined choice. The Bible said it's all His. It's not your money you're giving. It's not your job that you've got. He gave you that job. He gave you that money. And either you believe that or you don't. And it's one… Of, again, that's what I'm saying. It used to be a lot of stuff outside the church that was coming against us. Now it's inside the church. And we've had people in this very building that get up and leave in the midst of talking about money. Oh, my God, he's talking about money. Yep, so does the Bible, a lot. And the problem is it's your idol. And you better decide you're either going to be a tither and a giver like the Bible says, or you're in disobedience. Make a predetermined idea. Who you are going to serve, God or culture? And it's not popular. How are we going to represent ourselves on social media? Maybe you're somebody you can't handle it. Just stay off of it. You don't have to have a Twitter account. In fact, your life would probably be better if you didn't. You don't have to share everything that you think on Facebook. You do have the right to private thought. Or if you've got to put it on there, then do this. Type it out, all 15 pages. and then hit delete instead of send. You'll get all that stuff out, and then you don't have to puke on the rest of us. But it's not mandatory, but we almost feel like, well, I have to respond. No, you don't. You don't have to answer the phone that it rings. You don't have to respond to somebody's slight on Facebook. You don't have to respond with a like or a dislike or anything on any form of social media. You don't have to. I'm empowering you this morning. You don't have to do it. The problem is we want to do it. How about forgiving those who have hurt us? Just in relationship to that last part about social media, (laughs) or what people say, or what people do, predetermine, I'm going to be a person that forgives. Before I enter into the next problem, I'm going to be a person that forgives. So how are we going to deal with a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile towards what we believe, love them, hate them, redeem them, reject them, we need to make up our mind of a predetermined course. Before we jump into culture, before they're in our face, before somebody's asking us about our faith, we need to have a predetermined choice, just like Daniel did. Like I said, he didn't care about changing the name, didn't care about changing the language, when it, when it came to changing who he was serving by eating the bad food that was served to pagan idols, he said no. Because he wasn't going to defile himself. We need to come back to some places in our life where we say no. Did you know you can do that? Even in America? We can still say no. So how do we do this? I'm glad that you asked. Let's wrap this up. 1 Peter 5 and 6 tells us this. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Notice what he says. You humble yourself. Remember that you're under me. You're under my mighty hand that guides you and directs you and provides for you but look at the contrast of today. Culture says, promote yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. What are you going to do? Culture says, consume, consume, consume. Jesus says, give, give, give. What are you going to do? Culture says, hate those who hurt you. Jesus says, love those who hurt you. Bless those who hurt you. Don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. What are you going to do? Culture says, pursue things, because the more things that you have, the happier you'll be. Jesus says, pursue God. The more God you have, the happier you'll be. Culture says, live for the now, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus says, you better live for eternity, because that's a long time. <laughs> it's the reason why we put eternity in our hearts. That we would understand what happens after this life is just the beginning. The here and now is just the dress rehearsal for what the rest of our life is going to be. And we better start living for eternity instead of the moment. Lastly, the culture says pursue happiness. The most important thing you can do is be happy. Jesus says pursue righteousness. Be right in right standing with God. And believe me, that's tough to do in a culture if you haven't determined not to defile yourself. And We have to check ourselves on a regular basis. Is the culture getting into me? Am I starting to look like the culture? Am I doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying and believing what they're believing? And there's a myth, I just want to share this with you, my personal Personal belief, and maybe it's not you, but there's almost this thing in the church where somebody says, hey, it's pretty normal that when you get saved, you're all on fire, and you just want to see everybody get saved, but, you know, as you get older, that just kind of, well, I'll tell you what, I've been in this thing for 25 years now, and it's just as bright, and I've learned some patience and some temperance, <laughs> I know I was obnoxious and headstrong, and, but the reality is I am just as passionate about serving Jesus Christ about seeing people saved, about seeing people's lives change in and out of the church as I was back then, the question is, why is it supposed to die down? Usually I believe it's a sign that culture has had an impact on us, whether we like it or not. And the reason we're not as fired up is because culture slaps us in the face. And we say, I've had enough of that. That's why he says we have to be bold. That's why we have to be his and not theirs. And that's the big message from Daniel I want to leave with you. He knew who he was no matter where he was. He knew who he was no matter what they called him. He knew who he was, no matter the different language that he spoke, or the different education that he had. And most importantly, he not only knew who he was, he knew whose he was. Who are you under this morning? Are you more under culture, or are you more under God?